This used to be called the Broadcourt Report. Yes. And we're now, we're going to introduce it the last time as the podcast formerly called the Broadcourt Report. It is now... The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. We're excited about this. Very excited. You seem excited. I am. You know, I'm going to give you some credit here. Um, you did say from the beginning that my name should be included, so I, I thank you for that. Um, you know, you're the one that carries the weight. You carry the the followers. You you got the name here. We, we really leaned into that. Um, it worked for us. I don't think there was anything wrong with the name for the last... A uh, couple months here, but um, I I am very excited for this rebrand. The um, the most complaints we received from Democrats, Republicans, elected officials, my family, was about the fact that your name was not included in the podcast originally. I my uh, to my daughters who are listening, um, this injustice has been fixed. <laughs> to my one of my sisters who complained, this injustice have has been infi- fixed. I want to note, and I don't know why I'm so defensive about this, but I want to note for the record that I was supportive of it from the beginning. You were. Uh, it literally, I think, came up on our first recording, first show, um, to the Democrats, the Republicans who complained. Uh, the name of this podcast is now The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. And we're, yes. I'm very excited about it. And I appreciate all of the support here. I was very supportive of our original name as well. So it wasn't like, just for, to again, clear the record, I wasn't tar- trying to push for, for a change and overruled by any means. But, um, you know, we're, we're catching our stride, doing things a little differently. And it was time. I think this is great. I'm excited to do this with you. I'm glad, I'm glad that you still, you had a, we had a week off. We had a week off. For you to reconsider whether you wanted to do this anymore. <laughs> and foolishly, you decided to continue this. Oh, I don't think that was it. I think you were sunning your yourself in, you know, in Iowa, right? I was in Arizona. <laughs> I, thank you. I was in Arizona uh, for a, a week, uh, scheduled vacation to Arizona, which had to come back uh, a couple days early because of the, came back a day early because of the weather. Right. Um, but which turned out to not be a storm. Uh, but it was nice to get away for a week. It was scheduled. Uh, appreciate uh, all the listeners and everyone who's been enjoying the podcast. Uh, we're going to continue with the same uh, top flight analysis and commentary. Basically, the rebrand, relaunch of the greatest podcast that's ever existed. Is that fair to say, Becky? I'll take it. That's great. Um, we also want to start by acknowledging Todd Walker, who was just a fantastic moderator who did so much to help boost the show, get it off the ground. Uh, we hope to have Todd back. He's welcome back uh, to talk about his travels. We hope to have him back multiple times. Uh, we're, we're, I know both of us are incredibly appreciative of his contribution, getting us launched, his assistance, his leadership in keeping it here, and he's always got a seat that's open for him, and we hope to have him back. Absolutely. You know, Todd obviously um, is has been traveling around the globe, has exciting stories for us, knows what's going on, um, you know, in the Twin Cities in St. Paul. Um, and we're excited to have that. And I really think that, uh, you know, I think you and I can be a little long winded at times. He kept, you know, trained us to, to try to be succinct and keep things, keep the train running. Um, no pun intended for a later topic about trains. Um, but yeah, we're very grateful for Todd. Be sure to continue to follow him, uh, Todd P. Walker on social media platforms, and uh, we hope to have him back here soon. Absolutely. Well, let's kick things off. Uh, We're going to talk about Nikki Haley. Yes. Announced she was running for president. This is a subject we had touched on a little bit uh, prior to our last show, but I want to let you kick things off and talk about Nikki Haley. 
Right. You know, um, I've been excited about Nikki Haley. I think anytime we can elevate different voices, um, women, uh, my person of color, minority, um, I think is a really important thing um, on both sides of the aisle. I think it's always, you know, great to to have different different people at the microphone. Um, so she did. She announced her run. Um, you know, surprise. One thing surprising. I want to get your take on. She didn't mention Trump uh, by name in her speech. Sophisticated. Right. Um, I think it's going to be a, a topic that I'm going to go back to talking about her operation. I think she's a sophisticated operator, but I want to keep going on that. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, so former former governor of South Carolina, United Nations ambassador, um, she has a great resume. Uh, she two of the things that she touched on in her speech, term limits and um, a competency test over 75. Uh, we'll come back to that a little bit. Um, but we are officially just one year out um, here from when the GOP primary, um, really, the votes are going to be cast. So, um, you know, the the campaigns are, are heating up. I think we're going to see a lot more names uh being thrown in a lot more announcements and um it's really going to be interesting to see how things play out um we'll, we'll chat polls here recently but um yeah what do you what do you think about nikki haley i think she's great i think it's a it's going to be an interesting dynamic i think sophisticated as a way i would pr- uh, position that announcement she didn't mention trump by name and she's unique in, in, in something that we've talked about which is she navigated the trump universe she served in the administration and she got out, I think at the right time she was in for, I think 18 months, two years, roughly yep. she was served as uh, ambassador to the United Nations. Um, she was smart enough to get in and get out before I think, and she got out in a way in which Trump was not disloyal on her exit, right? which is good. Um, that being said, um, she made some statements about Trump. If he were to run, that she would not run. So I think there's some questions about how that dynamic's going to play out. But I thought her announcement was smooth. I think she is going to be a very strong candidate and a good contrast to Joe Biden. Absolutely. And I think just a great messenger. I think she's very articulate. I think that she's very thoughtful. Obviously, her team was smart. It was very calculated to not include Trump um, when they when they were in, in her speech. Um, obviously, I'm sure that riled Trump up even more. Um, I worked on some campaigns where, you know, we had a, a kind of established person running for re-election, uh, an op- opponent um, running, and we always referred to them as, you know, the opponent and the candidate running for, you know, the primary there. Um, and, and so I think it is a calculated thing to not give any any more, I mean, not that Trump needs any more or less name recognition, but it is a, a very thoughtful, calculated um, thing to do and to make, to keep her announcement about her and her plan forward rather than against somebody else. And and that's always one thing. I, negative politicking has a, an important role to play here um, in campaigns, but I always think you should have more good things to say about yourself than bad things to say about someone else. God bless you for embracing negative campaigning. It's a wonderful thing that you did. We're Can't gonna, win without it. We're going to break down a lot of things in the show. So let's break down as we move forward and with our new rebrand breakdown. Um, Nikki Haley's chances. Where do, you, where do you put them in this race? You know... Not great, right? I mean, the numbers, <laughs> I like her. I think that, you know, it's going to take a lot for anybody to break through. Um, you know, obviously, we've talked many times. Uh, I think that you are, well, 
I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to rephrase what you've said before, you believe that Trump will get the nominee, correct? Correct. I still or be the nominee. Yes. Um, I think that there is a chance for somebody else to come through. Polling, you know, certainly shows it's going to be a heavy lift. There are two recent polls, one a little bit closer than the other. Um, Harvard Harris has Trump at 46, DeSantis at 23, with Pence and Haley trailing at 76. Um, Quinnipiac has Trump at 42, DeSantis at 36. Haley Pence at 5-4. Now, since her announcement, Haley had gained three points and DeSantis lost five in that Harvard-Harris poll. So that is telling, right? Um, but, you know, the closest one I've seen is has DeSantis within six of, of Trump. One of the things that concerns me about the polling is the number of candidates. Now, the only one that's announced is Haley. Trump is announced. Um, we're not we, – we haven't seen – the, the polling that's it's including a far a lot of candidates. Right. My concern is, I mean, I did not support Trump in 16 or 20, but one of the dynamics that we've talked about before is that the candidates, there were a number of candidates that ran the last time around. And so the concern is too many candidates running. Right. So what do you think the magic number is of candidates that need to be in this race? I mean, under five, right? I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think that the more candidates or the more sensible, reasonable establishment, non-MAGA voters are going to split amongst, right? And, okay. and in the primary, t- winner takes all, um, you know, Trump doesn't need to have a majority, he just needs to have a plurality, right? And and so um, the more, I, I think to your point, the more candidates in, the more likely Trump is to be the candidate. Now, there's obviously a lot of time for for candidates to get in and get out before primary um, for some wheeling and dealing to be had. I I think Nikki Haley um, is is going to get in. Now, if she can distinguish herself from any of these other candidates yet to be said or seen, um, but we've seen what? I think we've mentioned a a dozen other names of, of likely candidates that are potentially getting in, whether that's Sununu and Christie and Hogan and Pence, right? I mean, that's just four right there. Um, I mean, there's another six to ten others that we could probably list off that um, would make it even easier for Trump to walk to victory. Do you think one of the immediate, and and I think this is, we'll we'll talk about her, uh, I don't think this is because she's a female, but one of the responses right away was, it's going to be Trump. She's running to be the VP. And so by not bringing up Trump's name in a combative way, strategically, which is sophisticated, which is smart of her, she's leaving leaving open that possibility. You think it's more likely that Haley is the Republican nominee for president or do you think it's more likely that she's a VP for president? Um, You know Good question, and I got to put a little rant in here, right? Um, I think it is fair. I think she would be a great VP candidate. I think her path to victory is very unlikely um, as much as I like her and think she is great. Um, I do think that with women candidate, I'm going to get up on my you know high horse here, with female candidates, we do tend to jump towards the VP, lieutenant governor um, option very quickly. You know, I don't know that if, let's say, a Pence Christie Sununu right now jumped in the race, would we be having that same conversation right off the bat? That's a great point. I don't know that we would. Um, that's nothing against you. This is, I mean, every article out there is saying she'd be a great VP. She'd be a great VP. I worked, you know, helped a, a, a female candidate um, launch their run for governor here this last cycle. Um, and, and right off the bat, that was, a, you know, she probably isn't going to win the endorsement, but she'd be a really great VP. And I just think it's something that we tend to go towards. 
Now, granted, a lot of times it's because if you're going to have a male candidate, you typically want a different voice, right? You want a female or you want a person of color or you want a different age discrepancy, something that's going to bring something else to the table. So I do see that. Um, but, you know, to go to the to the crux of this question, yes, I do think that she would bring something else to the table, whether that's to Trump or somebody else, Um as a VP candidate, um, I don't know that Trump. I mean, he's come out swinging a little bit against her, so I don't know that that um, he would accept that. But who knows? Um, I would love to see Haley be the nominee for president. Um, I there's a difference between me. I want to be clear to our listeners. There's a difference between me thinking it's going to be Trump and me wanting that to happen. Hundred uh, percent. I I do not want to see him as the Republican nominee. I think it would be fantastic. For someone like Nikki Haley to be the nominee, um, I just think there's a lot of there was a lot of sophistication in her message and how, what she said or didn't say and who she poked and didn't poke. That and and I think that's it's it's not un. I completely agree with your commentary, by the way, your analysis and your breakdown of it. Um, in this situation, I think that the fact that she came from his administration. Um, that she worked with them, that she didn't bring them up. There doesn't seem to be as much head-to-head like there is with DeSantis. I think long-term that might be more of a possibility. But if I could be just abundantly clear, uh, I'd love to see Nikki Haley be the nominee um, because I think it's 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 she's first of all she's qualified, but I think it'd be great messaging, great branding for our party, uh, and it's time. And I think she'd be the right candidate to do it. Do you think, so Nikki Haley aside, we'll come back to her here shortly. Do you think there is anybody aside from a DeSantis that is going to be able to break through to to put up a fight towards Trump? Whether somebody that has expressed interest or, or just if you had a dream candidate. I think it's probably uh, DeSantis is the one that's it's going to set up. I, I think all these other candidates that are running, I think DeSantis can run through that MAGA arena where people can still be loyal to Trump mm-hmm. and say it's just time for someone else. I think anyone else that's going to come up and go after Trump um, is going to come from that outside of that MAGA tent. I, I will say to you, I think Haley is going up that MAGA arena, she's, and she's playing down that road. Right. So any of the other candidates that you mentioned, I think, are going to have to uh, go up that anti-MAGA route, which I, that's why I think it's going to be Trump. I, I still think that the, the backbone of the party, the apparatus of the party, is still loyal to the president, the former president. And so I think any path for him to get the nomination is complicated because of those loyalists. And so um, I think DeSantis, you know, might, might be, but we'll see. Now, also, we've seen a number of different indictments, you know, come down on Trump and, and be playing in that world. Do you expect any of those to carry significant weight or detract or, or derail Trump's presidency at all? Um, his, uh, there is a distinct possibility that he could face some legal challenges this time next year as we're getting closer and closer to the nomination. A couple points on that. Um, we can talk about this more on a, on a future show, but um, Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan uh, both came out and said they would not support Trump if he was a nominee. Paul Ryan from Wisconsin, the national convention is in Milwaukee. He said he would not attend the convention if Trump was the nominee. And so former Speaker of the House, mm-hmm. Paul Ryan, uh, and obviously ran with Mitt Romney, in 12 yep. so it's significant um uh we'll see I, I think that um those legal hurdles that he may face should be an impediment but you have to remember that a lot of the activists who supported trump believed that 
uh, he was going to build a wall and that Mexico was going to pay for it. I never subscribed to that school mm-hmm. out, so I don't know sometimes that you're dealing with necessarily rational actors. I do think that his legal troubles could hinder his run. Um, and so I think Nikki Haley is playing it very, very smart as, as kind of going through. If you think about the lanes to get the nomination, mm-hmm. my, my belief is the, the MAGA lane is still the main lane. Absolutely. And she's, 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 tr- she's going through that route very cautiously to, I think, if, there's, if it's not the former president as the nominee, it's someone through that lane that, that has shown loyalty to those activists and to the former president. So at the end of the day, he could potentially be kingmaker. But right now, I still think it's going to be him. Well, and yes, I think the lanes are very important. I think you still need to appeal to those those MAGA voters, those activists that are going to be the ones that largely are the ones showing up and, and, you know, doing the work, voting in the primaries and caucus, playing in those situations. Um, But and and also being cognizant and, and uh, appealing to some of the maybe more moderate, sensible establishment folks as well. And and I think somebody like Haley does that. Um, I think DeSantis can can play that role. Um, I, I think we're going to see a lot of not fence sitting because I, I think that there are going to be key things on both sides. I think the biggest thing that anybody to uh, any of these MAGA voters to turn away from Trump and support somebody else while Trump's still in the race is they're going to need to see that fight. They're going to need to see somebody that is willing to go hardcore for them that is going to fight the Dems, going to fight the, you know, wokeness, going to fight the, you know, I'm doing the air quotes here, mm-hmm. the the fake news, all of that kind of thing like Trump did. I think that's what got a lot of these folks riled up is is they want to, somebody that's willing to fight and not just roll over. So got it. it's going to be interesting. Let's pivot because we wanted to make sure that we gave the announcement Nikki Haley her, her its due credit and attention. But let's talk about uh, Don Lemon and Nikki Haley. Like to get your thoughts on this. Um, as and do you want me to tee it up? Tee it up. Okay. So Don Lemon, uh, a host of CNN, when Nikki Haley got in, was critical of Nikki Haley's statements about Biden um, not being in his prime. And she said, but Lemon said that you know she says politicians are not. This is Don Lemon. I'm quoting. She says politicians are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry, a woman is considered to be in their prime in their 20s and 30s maybe 40s. Um, so let's let's set that up for a second. Don Lemon is a daytime host mm-hmm. with Poppy Harlow, Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins on CNN. Right. He was reacting to Nikki Haley's statements that Joe Biden, who's 80 now, 80. is not in his prime. Mm-hmm. And Don Lemon said that Nikki Haley, who is 51, is not in her prime. Right. This was a stunning statement. Correct. And so let's talk about it. Let's break this down. Give me your thoughts on it. You know, this is a prime example of when you're explaining you're losing. He tried, you know, Poppy, I think, questioned him, you know, explain that a little bit more. And he's like, well, if you Google it, you know, Google attributes, you know, Webster Dictionary says that a woman is in her prime in her 20 and 30s. So, I mean, let's pat myself on the back. I'm, I'm in my prime here. Only a few good years left before I hit my 40s where it's questionable if I'm still in my prime. Um it's <laughs> it's it's just a wild statement, right? So this is somebody, you know, Don Lemon, you know, Biden is 40. Biden is almost twice the age of Nikki Haley. And I don't think, you know, her competency, sure, the, this competency test is questionable whether, you know, even GOP voters who largely tend older is is a valid thing. I don't think she is 
I don't think it's a wild thing to ask if Biden is competent. Um, we've seen a lot of missteps and issues and gaffes from him, right? So let's let's just look at that. But to to question again, this is I, I'm going to get on my just we're just going to have a, an episode where Becky's on her high horse about being that's a great. female. You know, let me also preface this by saying I am a white woman, so I I'm going to give a little bit you know nod to my privilege here also as being a white woman, but. Women have do have a completely separate, you know, set of obstacles that they have to fla- place in politics, in um, government in general. Um, I, I think I maybe have shared this story before, but even just being, you know, when I worked in Washington, D.C., there would be times, and I had to point them out to some of my, my colleagues, there would be times where I'd be in a situation at a, you know, a, a, some sort of um, happy hour or, you know, uh, alleg- or alliance-led um, sort of industry sort of event. Um, somebody would come up, introduce themselves, shake the man's hand, and, and give a wave to a woman. Those things do happen still in politics where I don't always get the handshake that a man standing next to me would get. Um, Very frustrating. Just a little, you know, insight into that kind of thing. But um, as we talked about before, women are are touted as the VP. Women, you know, I I don't know if there's a a Parks and Rec episode where uh, Leslie Nope gets into a, a little rant of, you know, I'm gonna go into. Can women have? Or, or don't you? Aren't you trying to have it all? And he's like, she's like, it's a stupid question. No, I'm not trying to have it all. Let's just like move on. You know, she's talking about the difference between her husband running and her running, and the questions that are asked. Women just are in a different situation, and I think it's really, really frustrating to not only say is Nikki Haley in her prime, but just why is her age a factor at all when she is very clearly in a she hasn't had any competency issues right she hasn't said anything questionable that's wondering if she is mentally there if she is stable if she's a competent person to lead this country um and to to say that as a woman that she has a different in her prime um levels that we need to look at versus a a man i mean it's kind of like saying i mean she's going to be a little bit more emotional as a president so maybe we shouldn't do that those questions weren't asked about Hillary Clinton. Why should they be asked about a Nikki Haley? What do you think the basis I – mean, what do you think uh, – try to explain and break down what you think Don Lemon was thinking. I mean, was this – I mean, he's viewed as being liberal. Right. Is this just partisan blinders? Was he thinking it from the perspective, okay, uh, she's a Republican criticizing Joe Biden. I mean, what, what's, what's the mindset there? Yeah, and I apologize for my word salad that I just tossed out and all of that. Um, that's a, I don't know what he was thinking here. I think he was trying to bring some defense to Biden and and you know the older men that are um, have been running the Democrat Party or even the older woman. Let's look at Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton, right? Um, I don't know what his reasoning for that was, but I will say his quote unquote apology um, almost seemed to double down. Right, his apology said. The reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant, as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out, and I regret it. A woman's age doesn't define her personally or professionally. I have countless women in my life who prove that every day. Now, the part where he says, as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out, that takes zero accountability, right? It's like, I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. Not, I'm sorry I said this. It was, people pointed out this was bad, so that's why I'm apologizing. And the, I have countless women in my life who prove that every day, I mean, we're not going to let a Democrat get away with saying that, just like we don't let Republicans get away with saying, I have people of color in my life when they're being racist, right? It's, I have it's black not friends, ex- therefore I can't be racist. It's not an excuse. It's um, just, it's just, it was a poor statement. It was a poor apology. He's coming back. He's going to move on, and which is fine. I'm not part of cancel culture of that. I think 
it, it's it's stunning to me though that the, even the apology wasn't a great apology. You're a communicator for your life, and you can't find a way to apologize in a way that is sincere and actually apologizing. Um, you and I both know Gina Countryman. Gina used to um, she used to when I, I've worked with her in the past. She would always bring up these examples of men who were accused of doing stuff and they would sexism or something and say, look, I can't be sexist because I have a wife and daughters or something like that. I mean, it's just, it really bends the mind. Right. I was, um, if I want to give you the, more time to talk about this or can I, can I chime yeah, in? Go, go, go. Um, I was, uh, floored by his statement, um, floored by the apology and how he reacted to this. Um, first of all, I think it is legitimate to say, that to discuss Joe Biden's competency. It is fair. He will be the oldest president we've ever had. Um, it is a completely reasonable to have those type of discussions. And I think it is great contrast for someone like Nikki Haley to have those. Um, she's 51 years old. I looked at her resume. I'm going to be 50 this year. I looked at her resume and I said, I thought to myself, damn. I could have done some more things with my life. Very happy with where I am, but she is by every sense of the definition, not even, I don't even think in her prime in terms of, she's got like, she's in her prime or whatever it is. Well, and I would think she's just, she's in, I mean, she's living the moment. She's done fantastic things to think that, to think that a woman who is 51 is not in her prime is just a ridiculous, preposterous statement. I mean, if this was like corporate America, right? An executive of becoming, you know, somebody becoming CEO at 51 is relatively young, right? Like, yes. I mean, it's just wild. It, it was just, and I, and I think the doubling down, the non-apology apology, I think was also bad too. Right. It was really, really bad. And I think that you start to get into some of the mindset of what he was thinking. Now, um, one thing I want to bring up to you is there's been some criticism. The show hasn't been doing that well uh, on CNN. There's been some challenges with it. Um, Elizabeth Vargas, who I'm a big, who I'm a big fan of, she did. Um, I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Vargas. Uh, she made some comments about Don Lemon's statement, and she said, "Quote: You have to be talking about him being on television. You have to be quick on your feet. In this case, he made a mistake. The bigger mistake wasn't in what he said, but in doubling down and not seeing clearly when Poppy Harlow tried to correct him." Uh, I think if in the moment he just backed off and said, you're right, what a dumb thing I said, so sorry, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think Poppy did try to kind of like, all right, you're getting into some sticky things. Let's pivot here. And he just, I mean, he even in that sense, yes, he kind of did allow the pivot to happen. But he said, I got to be careful here. But this is what Google says. If you Google this, you know, so trying to give, again, some some backup, some some facts to point to of why he was making that comment. And it's just disappointing. It was terrible. And I, and I will uh, give a shout out uh, to one of my daughters. I was having a conversation with her about this story. And I asked her just in the context, uh, my 15-year-old daughter asked in the context, I said, uh, when do you just, in the context of this story, we was explaining it to her. And I said, by the way, when do you think women are in their prime? And without missing a beat, she said, always. And I was, like so, I was so proud of her at that moment. Uh, I'm proud of her all the time. But I was really proud of her at that moment uh, for her giving that answer. It's just a puzzling thing to say. I mean... Again, to be fair, Biden is 80. Right. I, I mean, and politics aside, a person in their 80s 
that it, it just he tripped last week. I mean, he trips. He makes statements. He's unsure where he is. It's not just because he's a liberal president that that comments about his uh, competency. To be fair, if Trump, I mean, with under Haley's thing, Trump would also fall under, you know, this competency test. I believe he's 76, 77, right? Um, but it's it's pointing to actual things that Biden has said or done or, or relayed of why there is a question about his competency. I think I've always shook in your hand, by the way. I'm a big believer. In, I'm, I'm a big believer in high fives. So I'm a high five guy. Yep. So so we, <laughs> I'm a high five guy. So I always do those. So, well, let's keep wa- watching this. And I think that was a good, a good breakdown segment as we're going to continue to break things down in the show. We broke down the Don Lemon thing. Uh, he's back yep. um, on the show. I, I don't know how long he's there for that. I, I think this is, you know, he went through the, the corporate training at CNN. I just think... I don't know if this 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 format's going to work. Yeah, my wife watches my wife watches the show. Uh, she's a big fan of Poppy Harlow, big fan of Poppy Harlow, who I think is from Minnesota. Is she? Uh, and Caitlin Collins. I just don't think it's a good fit. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to excuse what he said, but I think uh, I think that Don Lemon might not be ready. I just that I think Elizabeth Vargas' statement about being quick on your feet. Not to justify or excuse it yeah. in any way, but clearly he made a mistake in what he said. He yeah. made a mistake in not reading the room when Poppy was trying to, I think, give him a little bit of a, of a life preserver out. And then his apology, I think, was clumsy. Yeah. So clearly, I don't know if this is a good format for him to be on this show. Uh, one last comment I do want to give or make is uh, to give a nod to our state legislator, legislative branch up here that does have a number of women leaders. I think it's great, both sides of the aisle. Some women that are at the top of their game, clearly in their prime, might out, not always support what they, they do politically, on, on but I got to just give a nod. We got we got some, some great women up there. That's great. It's good to hear. Um, next subject. What next thing we're going to break down? Train derailment. Train derailment. Why don't you take this one? So I think, you know, starting here, obviously, you know, the train derailment happened beginning of February. Um, toxic chemicals, you know, if you see the photos and videos, it's just stunning. The the black, is it called the plume of smoke, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, big, big smoke going there. Um, it took 20 days for a Biden administration to, to make it to the site. That is pretty compelling. 20 days, I believe it was uh, almost three weeks, right? Um, that, and Buttigieg was out there last week um, on site uh, and said, they said the reason it took so long is they didn't want to distract from the emergency response efforts. What do you think about that? Um, a couple things. Uh, so we're going to break this down in the context of the government's response and some of the PR things that are right, going on. the optics. So I don't think right now that there's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that there's any operational complaints that people have about the government's response right now. Um, other than there was a train derailment, which right. is bad. I mean, let's be clear about the train derailment right. is bad. There's obviously going to be a review of 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 the responses, um, you know, the, the kind of the failing infrastructure, how we got to this point. Mm-hmm. So obviously, a train derailing is bad. Yeah. But one of the things that's been going on is concern and criticism about the Biden administration's kind of response from a leadership perspective. Correct. Buttigieg was uh, somewhat slow, I would say, to get there. Mm-hmm. And and so in breaking and that... transportation secretary. Tra- transportation secretary. Yep. And his qualifications were uh, he had been the mayor, mayor. of South Bend, uh, Indiana. Correct. And had ran for president. Um, so it's interesting to talk about because I think in this, this day and age, this kind of heightened... 
with, particularly with social media awareness, the, the, the news cycles and everything like that, it appears that the criticism right now that's being leveled towards the Biden administration is that Joe Biden hasn't come and that Buttigieg was slow in being there. Correct. And your take on that? I mean, I just think it's a major failure and one that not only are they did they fail to act, but Trump beat them to it. Yes. So we'll come back to that. Let's but. talk a little bit, and for our listeners, explain your your vast experience <laughs> and how you would and your your background experience and how you're why you're judging it through that lens. Your experience working government and other things. Yeah. So you know, I, I spent a number of years working out uh, in Washington D.C. Worked in Congressman Emmer's office. Have run worked on some different um, campaigns at the state legislature. All sorts of things, um, and. Immediate action, especially in this day and age with Twitter and social media, is really necessary. You know, statements are great, but people want to see action. And I understand that they didn't want to distract from uh, from emergency. I, I understand. They wanted the cleanup efforts to happen. They wanted to make sure everything was good. However, it, it, it takes, I mean, an hour, right? Like, it takes very minimal time to go there, to make an appearance, to shake the hands, to thank the folks, and let people know that you're on top of this and to make people feel a little safe. I mean, people were scared. They were seeing, I mean, you're driving and seeing this cloud from miles and miles away. Um, people are breathing the air, having headaches, you know, getting rashes, you, all sorts of different things, which is a whole other topic. But the failure to act and failure to respond generally makes people feel like you don't have the situation handled. And you, and the failure to act from your perspective, the visual is, Biden or Buttigieg beating there. Correct. So you would have, if you were advising the the Biden administration uh, or uh, Department of Transportation, you would have said you need to be there on the ground as soon as possible. Correct. Talk to the folks. Go and see what concerns they have. Are you feeling okay? Are you feeling safe? What do you need more of? Do we need more responses? Do we need more water? Do we need air prayer fires? I don't know. Whatever it is, but being there to offer and to hear from the people that are impacted. Um, I mean, we see this, what, you know, we saw this, um, I, I, again, I'll give a nod to Congressman, Congressman Emmer, um, and I believe even Jason Lewis, when, you know, the riots happened downtown, uh, you know, after, um, when when the buildings were burning and everything, they went and they walked around. They talked to business owners. You know, sure, there is a press component of that. It's, it, you know, there is the optics of, of making sure people know you're doing these things as well. Um, but you need to show that you're on top of it and you care. I mean, I think that's a large part is, is showing that you care whether there's something you're doing policy-wise or not. Correct. Um a couple points I want to make. It, it, the NBC ran out and did a story that the Biden administration knocked on the doors of 530 East Palestine, uh, Palestine Ohio homes within 72 hours uh, um, in, the, in, the last, in the last few days dealing with this. So there's obviously been a revamped effort on their part to get out here. I think the pushback we would hear from the Biden administration or from others is that if the president shows up, that's going to be a distraction from the cleanup efforts and other things, because all of those resources that would be dedicated law enforcement resources now need to deal with a VIP visit. Is that a persuasive argument to you? I mean, no. And I guess this is obviously I'm complaining, comparing apples and oranges here. But if we look at something like 9-11, you know, President Bush on Spot ground on. zero was there. I mean, that I, I get goosebumps literally talking about that speech. That's a great um, point. I was just thinking that's fantastic that you brought and, that and up. And I, I completely hear what you're saying. Uh, yes, that is fair. Um, but 
it's again letting people know that you care, that you're on top of it. That was a situation, obviously, um, emergency response was a huge concern and need. Um, but he showed up and he let people know that he was fighting this fight and he was with them and he was going to be there for them. Do you think that the Biden administration – now, a couple of things. I think this is – I think social media – um, the prevalence of social media, the, the the expansion of social media. I think it brings up a number. I think it shows it, the, these stories just m- mushroom in a much more significant way. I, I think it was a, a tactical mistake. We've talked about that before. We talked about kind of the slow response. Um, what's interesting about that is it seems to me that the slow – one of the problems I think that Biden has from an optics standpoint is is his age, which leads to a belief that he's not energetic He's not engaged. There's a little bit of a slow response. The, the White House, the operations of the White House can move in robust ways independent of the president. And it seems that I think they're missing the opportunity to engage. Biden has commented a little bit about the some of the, these questions because he, on President's Day, he went to the Ukraine. So the optics that that sets up is that it sets up that the president isn't visiting a train derailment in Ohio but he's visiting the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a missed opportunity for them. I think it was a mistake. I think that he should have gone to Ohio s- sooner. Um, I think have Buttigieg, um, th- the president has the opportunity to show youth and energy by tapping into some of his younger members of his cabinet to be on the ground right away. I think it was a huge mistake to not have Buttigieg there. And that's what I'm surprised about because I, I do understand why – you know, they're not jumping at the chance to get Biden in front of cameras, right? I mean, that's just fair. They're they're just kind of, you know, doing what they can do to, to control that. But that's why it's so surprising that they didn't send the secretary <coughs> excuse me. No worries. To be there and, and and to be there as a face. Again, while, you know, he was over in Ukraine, why didn't they send him, you know, a week or two earlier just to go again, it doesn't have to be a big long thing. Send him for an hour make the thing and say, you know, the president, we're monitoring, we're going to be there, we're, we're looking at policy issues. Um, and then let's chat a little bit about Buttigieg's visit. So he's getting some flack for his shoe wear. Yes. Um, he wore dress shoes. Dress shoes to uh, a crash site. Dress shoes to a cl- that's muddy and, you know, just, again, we go to the optics of this, right? And the optics... And the optics of it being this is a crash site. This is a this is a biohazard type situation. Um, you might want to put on appropriate footwear. Right. You know, and again, this goes back to, to my experience working on some of these campaigns. I mean, we you put together an advanced document for, for your candidate or elected of of what they're doing and who they're going to see and what to wear, you know, which seems a little silly. Um, but I've, I've been in situations where, you know, we had a, a candidate that was going from a donor luncheon to a clay shoot. And, and showed up, didn't have the, the change of clothes that was recommended. Um, so you know what we did? We made sure he took off that jacket and that tie and rolled up those sleeves and made the best of the situation. Now, this is something your 100% plan is to go to this crash site. Go up, pick up a pair of Red Wing boots, right? Like, come on, let's get some work boots. He had the jeans on. I think he had like a flannel shirt. But it just, I mean, the amount of flack that he got from that of, you know, being this, you know, Mayor Pete, Secretary Pete now, um, that's, you know, at this crash site. Again, just the optics of it. It's one of those things that's just the easiest things to manage. You're already getting blowback. Let's not just act like you're you're not prepared for, for what you're about to, to witness. So to break this down further, would you 
if you're advising the, the Biden administration, you would have sent him to Ohio before the Ukraine. Yes. Um, you immediately would have sent Buttigieg faster. Right. So at least there would have been a response. Because I think from Biden's perspective in explaining this, there was a government response there. I mean, you have the EPA, the NTSB, all of these outfits and organizations. They, in essence, represent the Biden administration because they work for the federal government. But I think as Governor Christie said on, on ABC and others have kind of commented on, there's an opportunity for the chief executive to show leadership, to show that you care, and it's important that, you, that he conveys that type of message, which is so surprising to me that they didn't send Biden there because um, there's one thing I think Biden is very good at in comparison to Trump is his biz- ability to show sympathy and empathy towards people, Absolutely. his ability to connect. Joe Biden can connect with, I mean, this is an individual who has suffered a tremendous amount of tragedy in his life, loss of his son, loss of his first wife and daughter in a car crash, while, just after he got elected to the United States Senate, uh, he has dealt with cancer and other things in his life. Um, he's really suffered uh, immensely and, and, and his, it does a tremendous job of connecting with victims of tragedy. Um, and it's one of the strongest points, I think, about Biden's presidency, his, his, his range of emotions that he has, his, both his ability to connect uh, in an empathetic level, level and also be sympathetic of people in many ways. It's just remarkable. So I think it was a real missed opportunity. But there is a slowness with this administration that surprises me. Um, we talked about this. One of the one of the things we initially broke down was the on the UFO response, mm-hmm. which is kind of still ridiculous to think about the UFO response. Um, but there was a slowness there too, and I think there's a missed opportunity to engage on this. Now you brought up, I think, a really great point that we need to discuss, which is the arrival of, of Donald Trump to the site. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, well, I think real quick uh, to the comments about the slowness, I do also want to say, you know, in my situ- or in my experience or, or my thought on the matter is if you respond quickly to something, you have the ability to say we're looking towards two policies. We're looking to see what happened. We still don't have all of the details. You're able to respond and kind of pivot and get off a little bit. Now, when you're three weeks out, you better have some answers. And I I don't necessarily think that the Biden administration was there. I think that we're seeing now some pushback for Buttigieg asking nicely for the rail companies to implement some things rather than than having strong policy positions. But um, Trump, of course, um, love him or hate him, Trump's team does find opportunities to insert himself into the conversation. And this is a prime example. He beat Biden to this, this he beat Buttigieg, right? I think he was there the day or two before Correct. Buttigieg was there as well. And so he's able to go, and now he's not necessarily the most empathetic person, as, as you have mentioned, but he is a fighter. And I think that he's gone there and is able to set the narrative, right? I, I think he's been able to go there and say, this is a failure of the Biden administration. This is a fa- failure of Joe Biden. He is not a leader. You need somebody who's going to lead. I have a history of leading. Now, Biden has obviously, their administration has pointed towards, you know, uh, Trump's policies of deregulation and, and stuff being an issue in in this situation. Um, but Trump being there first allows some of these people that are frustrated with no nobody paying attention to them, frustrated with the situation at hand, to feel a little hurt and feel like they have a leader. And, and that's something that Trump's team has been very good over the years of capitalizing and inserting himself in situations to to be a part of the story that he's not necessarily a part of. It was a very smart political move. Very smart. From an optic standpoint, from a political standpoint, to be there first. I think it was a tremendous 
And one of the things, we're, we don't want to be callous when we're talking about this. Obviously, this is a tragedy, but we're breaking this down and talking about it from the perspective of kind of people who have experienced both in public relations and communications and, and from the government perspective. It was, a, it was an absolutely smart move by Trump to get there because it shows energy. It shows a connectness, a, his ability to connect um, with people. And it shows, which is interesting because I think we would both agree that Trump is is – has an aura or a persona about being a very warm and engaged individual. But by all accounts, he's somewhat awkward socially. Uh, and so you would think that this wouldn't be the environment that he would succeed in, but it's, it's exactly the type of environment he does because it's superficial. Because what all people see is Donald Trump in Ohio at a train, der- train derailment and Joe Biden is not there. Mm-hmm. And that's the optics and the politics that we can't take away from the former president's team. He has a smart team that pulled that together. We can disagree with his politics, mm-hmm. but that was a shrewd political move, and you got to give him a point for doing that. Well, and I mean, let's not forget, Ohio is an important state when uh, yes. it comes to electoral politics, right? That's a great point. Um, and so, you know, as much as we, you know, would love government and policy to just be, or, you know, government and campaigning to just be about policy and just being about making life uh, better for businesses and individuals and families. Um, it's it's largely about making sure people know that you are doing those things right, and how you do those is take advantage of these of these press opportunities and the optics of of things going out of there. And um, yeah, I, I think that this was a really good opportunity for Biden's team to to show him as a smart, strong, articulate leader. Um, coming off the State of the Union where he did portray that, I think that this really was a, a complete downfall. And for Trump to step in and take advantage of that um, is going to be hard to swing back towards the Biden team on this. Does 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 Biden? I have not seen any news of Biden going there. Uh, have you seen any news on that? Not to put you I on the spot. Not. What does Biden do to get out of this? What does the Biden administration to close this subject out? What do you think Biden does to to get ahead of this and 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 fix a little bit of his? Which I think we both would say we're not pollsters. We haven't pulled the race, but just from our standpoint as professionals, we would view. That if that he's taken a little bit of a PR hit, yeah. how does he get out of this in your perspective? And can he? I mean, whether if he's not willing to go there, I think he hopefully will would bring some some folks out to Washington, maybe to talk to them about he needs to have some communication with folks that are impacted, some farmers, some families, some businesses that were impacted that are having some reactions. You know, they say that it's all, you know, safe and there's no real issues, but people are having headaches. Press are having headaches. They're getting rashes. Livestock are being uh, impacted, uh, allegedly. And so um, I think he does need to do something on the personal level, the optics, to show, again, that he does care. And then I think that his administration, um, with him as the leader and and Buttigieg likely as the voice piece here, it, try to implement some some strong policy changes that are going to change. I mean, the rail industry has been largely, I mean, the rules and regulations have are, are rather old from what I hear. Um, and so doing something, and again, I, I, not that I, I like to see Republicans attacked here, but um, doing something on the messaging side that shows that this failure is is potentially a failure that would have been prevented had it not been for Republicans or Trump overturning some of the the rules and regulations that they they made last cycle. What's great about the politics of this, and and again, let's accept that this is this is a breakdown show. Right. We're not we're not embracing the fact that there was this train derailment, but we're going to talk not about this all. in 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 blunt terms. I think on a regular basis on this on this podcast. 
But the politics of it is this is prevents an, provides an opportunity for Trump, which, show, which is something he is very good at, of you would think that he would have a bit of uncomfortableness because of deregulation and other types of issue that occurred under his administration to race to a scene and insert himself in. Because the truth of the matter is he is a former president and he has Secret Service protection and there's, a, there's pomp and circumstance that goes with his arrival too. He's pulling away from law enforcement and other things that are going on in that scene. So, But he understands the optics of it. He understands the messaging of it. And that's what I think makes him, to my frustration, such a successful candidate is because he understands the pure optics of just going there. Mm-hmm. I think Biden has to go. I think the problem is, is that he got beat by Trump going there. And so the question is, what does he do? Because I think... I think you know Governor Christie made some statements on on this on ABC this week, uh, talking about the the need for the executive to go there. Uh, Trump went; he's not the executive. He's running for his old job, uh, but Biden's going to do something to clean this up. And I just don't know if he can. And as you astutely pointed out, which I had missed, but you astutely pointed out, Ohio politics is big, yep. and from a presidential map, from an electoral college standpoint, Ohio's a big state. And people hold grudges. Voters voters look back and they're going to, you know, in a year and a half, they're going to say, yes. Biden didn't care about us. You know, my friend, you know, was lived near there. My college roommate, my cousin, you know, they were all impacted by this. And he didn't give a flying F about us. And just from the standpoint of electoral politics, if you frame it up the way that you did, if we break it down that far, if we're just looking at the state of Ohio, because right now that television ad's probably already been cut. Oh, yeah. Of, of, of Donald Trump there. Shaking hands, talking to people, and where is Joe Biden? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It's a great, great connection you made there. Well, yeah, we're off to a next, our final subject, which is budget. Budget. Budget, budget, budget. Um, budget forecast came out uh, just yesterday, um, and it remains relatively unchanged at $17.5 billion, the budget forecast. So there's a budget forecast to explain to folks. Um, there's a budget forecast held. Uh, there's a February forecast, November forecast um, that are announced, and uh, the February the February forecast was largely unchanged at 17.5 billion. So what that puts, where that sets off our legislative discussion, is this: is that Democrats have control of the House, the Senate, and the Governor's office, and there's a 17 billion dollar budget deficit surplus. Surplus, excuse me, surplus. Yes, surplus. So there's 17.5 billion dollars of extra money. That the Democrats get to spend and explain explain how that extra money comes to be. How where does it come from that we have all this extra money? Taxpayers, yeah, baby, taxpayers. So this is this will be the fight. This is now setting up. So the opportunity that legislative Democrats have here with a trifecta, with one power, with one party control, and then with the seventeen billion dollar budget surplus, surplus, not deficit, surplus, is quite astounding. Um, this is going to be something that I think is going to frame the final months of the legislative sessions. We're now nine weeks in. Um, the, what's largely been discussed this legislative session has been more policy-related items. It hasn't been much on budget, taxes, and spending, which we're now going to have to deal with. Um, I mean, there has been some spending components, but not in the context of a complete budget picture. And so now well, this will, I think, frame up the, the last few weeks, the last few months, excuse me, of the legislative session. What I thought was very interesting in the governor's remarks yesterday about the budget forecast was he made it clear there will not be any special sessions, which is something we've discussed on the show. When we, were, when we did our show with the DFL, 
we discussed the possibility of whether there was – I brought up as whether there would be a, a special session. Representative Niska uh, brought up, after he was done bashing the name of the show, he brought up the possibility of there being a special session, and we've heard that before. So it's interesting the governor threw that marker down of there being no special sessions, which is which is as you know they're called special sessions, but in Minnesota they're not that special because right. they happen on a regular basis. So the marker that the governor is putting down here is the legislature is going to get their work done on time, and that's going to be a big marker. And so the question is, where do we go from here in the budget? Let's break this down. Yeah, so obviously they need to figure out, you know, what are they going to do with it? There's the Republicans. Give it all back. We've seen this, you know, time after time. I mean, this is technically taxpayers' money that they took too much from Minnesota businesses, Minnesota taxpayers, right? I mean, it is the money of of the Minnesotans. So give it back or spend it. Um, you know, I think that this kind of goes to the, the ultimate <laughs> – um, banging around over banging here. Banging around, yes. Uh, goes to the ultimate kind of um, where the parties stand fiscally in their in their beliefs, right? Republicans believe that the government taxes too much, should only tax to spend what they need to spend, and, and Democrats tend to like taxes. Correct. The uh, House and Senate Republicans today, just before we were recording this episode, they had a press conference, a give it back press conference, where they discussed uh, the need for um, Democrats to follow through on their pledge of repealing uh, the tax on Social Security income. Uh, they talked about a permanent income tax relief. They talked about property tax relief. And they talked about a one-time tax relief, I, I think in the form of some rebate checks that will happen. Um, so we'll have to see. This is really going to frame up. I listened to the press conference. It was quite interesting. I think it's going to really frame up the final few weeks of the legislative, the final few months of the legislative session. This is going to uh, come down to, uh, I mean, a portion of this money is going to go back in terms of straight checks. Walls checks, right? Walls checks. Uh, and um, I think there's going to be a – I think the fight is going to be on the, the details. What's interesting is the legislative majorities. Let's bring that up for the listeners. A, a Democrats have – it's 70 to 64 in the House. So there's a – that's a three-seat majority. I was told there wouldn't be math, but I think that's three mm-hmm. seats. There's a one-seat majority in the House – in the Senate, excuse me. Roughly 160 votes, 361 votes uh, gave the House Democrats legislative majorities. They won the governor's office by a massive margin, which we should note part of the reason why, Becky, is because I did what? Endorsed Governor Walls. That's great. We, we have to get that in, even though we ha- it's one of the things that was on my notes as we make sure we carry over to the new branding is that you get those dings in for me endorsing Governor Walls. You know, I appreciate you bringing that up. I didn't know if we were, if it was time to move on yet. Um, I was going to make a joke about, you know, some suggestions being the Walls Whisperer and, and things of that wow. sort. But, uh, yeah. I'm glad I didn't I'm glad I didn't let it go. We can't let a good bit die. Right? we got to continue yeah. that. So, but the Democrats have very close majorities from a numbers standpoint right. in, the, in the House and the Senate. So the question is, what's going to be the appetite for legislative Democrats to pursue some form of tax reform, this process, that, and on some of the things that they campaigned on, the number of Democrats that were elected to office campaigned on repealing the income tax on Social Security. I think Minnesota is one of 12 states um, that has that type of, and it was generally discussed during the election cycle that that would happen. The governor has backed away from some of that stuff. And so I think the opportunity that it provides House and Senate Republicans who are in very slim minorities is it gives them a messaging opportunity to talk about that this is what Democrats campaigned on, we should deliver it. 
And that's the messaging opportunity as we break down uh, our last subject here of, of, the, of the final weeks, of the final months, I should say, of the legislative session, the opportunity that exists for Republicans in, in this, this debate is going to think come down to a budget debate. And I think that's where we'll see where it plays out. Absolutely. I mean, I think we also need to to be able to figure out where they're going to give con- some concessions and some relief is also going to be determined um, after they figure out where they want to spend more, right? We, we have all of these places and it's going to all of these members who have campaigned on certain things, putting more money in education, more money in healthcare, more money in you know X, Y, and Z, um, and so after they they got to figure out what they're spending to figure out what we're saving, and and hopefully, I mean, you know, the the fiscal conservative in me hopes that they also put some you know replenish rainy day funds and and put some in savings, right for you know, a recession and inflation and all of these issues that are that are happening that makes our economy not incredibly stable at this time um, for for years to come. Um, but I do also know that um, we got to we got to figure out, I mean, in two years, we also have a, a governor's race, right? Or uh, no, not two years in four years. Yep. Um, but so we have in two years, like you mentioned, the house is going to be up again. And they have they're going to have to answer to voters. And so how do we, we look at this, again, from the messaging perspective of what they want to say on the campaign trail? I think it's going to be this, – this could be – I think both of us have been a little critical of the lack of kind of messaging that's come out. The opportunity that I think fiscal subjects give to Republicans is it's a safe subject for them. So my hope is that Republicans over the coming weeks and months in these, as they enter the final times during the legislative session, they use this as an opportunity – to, to, to message strongly on issues that I think are good for them. Today, I think, was a good step to see House and Senate leadership out there talking. Although I did endorse the governor, uh, I am a believer in um, there being bipartisan control. Um, I, I don't think one party is good to have this type of leadership across one party. That's uh, why I supported uh, some other candidates for statewide office on the Republican side, because I was hoping that there would be some some a break and not have one party control. So we'll see what happens. I think this is going to be a really interesting subject that we can continue to talk about, continue to break down uh, as we do these shows, hopefully more and more. uh, And we continue this exercise. I agree. I, I, I do want to want to join you in giving some props to to the legislators, uh, the Republicans, for taking advantage of this messaging opportunity. I hope they continue to hold the Democrats accountable. Make sure that you know different wins are are received. Republic or Minnesotans do get some of this money back, whether it's in form of checks or taxes. Um, you know, it's only time will tell. I, I do want to note it for the record on the first episode. Of the breakdown with Brad Kormacki, I complimented the Republicans first. Wow. You were interested in still fighting these tired old battles about who I supported for governor. You know, I got to do it. Then you got to do it. Well, this has been a great show. We're going to end with tweets. Tweet of the week. Uh, I'll give a little shout out to, again to Todd Walker, who encouraged us to always do tweets of the week. And Todd, we're continuing this. Uh, we're continuing the, 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 the tweets of the week. Uh, I can go first. You can decide. It's up to you. I'll go first. Okay. Is this, first of all, is this going to make me cry? 
Uh, it's not going to make you cry, but um, you know, I, I, we hopefully gotta gotta get some new fans because we're gonna. I'm gonna give a give a nod to our our good friend Jeff Kolb again. Um, not Ooh. the first or last time he's going to be mentioned uh, as the tweet of the week, but um, we got some we need some people to to give him some competition here. Uh, when we announced that we were rebranding, he tweeted, "I lobbied for." The blonde and the bald guy, but was overruled by people with lamer sensibilities. Um, and to all of you listening who have never seen either of us, I am blonde and uh, <clears throat> Michael is bald. That's right. Jeff, um, we discussed he was one of the few people that got to, was involved in the decision of our rebrand. And Jeff immediately lobbied for uh, the blonde and the bald guy. Uh, we decided to go a different route. The breakdown with Broad Corbin Becky. Um but uh, it was a it was a well noted uh, well great. well noted name. Uh, my tweet of the week is to Chad Hartman. Uh, okay. Chad Hartman. Uh, so m- we had a big snowstorm last week, not as big as many people thought. Um, in the uh, Chad Hartman is uh, a follow him on social media at Chad Hartman Show. Chad is obviously on on WCCO Radio. He uh, left for Hawaii last week um, in the midst of this massive snowstorm that was going to come that never really developed about, um, which we need to talk about I think on another show. But, but Chad went out there with a tweet that says, quote, it's always interesting watching the community come together before a huge storm, getting prepared for the next, next days. So, so what do you do? I played my part. I got a great pedicure today because I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. The struggle is real. <laughs> and, and Chad spent the, the, later, the tweets all last week kind of trolling Minnesotans, talking about his hair, posting these beautiful uh, pictures from his travels in Must Hawaii. Be nice. It was great trolling, and, and I'm proud of Chad for it. I've been on his show a few times, uh, so follow Chad Hartman and at Chad Hartman Show for all of his trolling, and go back and read some of his tweets. This is going to be something we're going to do on a regular show on our, all of our episodes. Talks about tweet of the weeks and other things. So that it's our first show. We did it. We did it. Um, you know, I think that uh, going forward, again, we're we're really trying to to break these down in a different way. Everybody can read and hear the news. Um, you know, just relayed as as facts happen. But we hope to bring a different spin and and break break down the subjects and the optics and the messaging side of things and and discuss it a little bit differently than. Maybe you're getting somewhere else. And just to be clear, it's as I've had explained to multiple people, it's two words. It's right. break down. We're not having a breakdown. We're not I mean, ha- not quite yet. Not quite least. yet. I'm sure that'll happen at some point, but we're not having a breakdown. So right. it's breaking down stuff. Correct. We're breaking down subjects, discussions, commentary. Neither of us are having breakdowns right now. We yes. may have one on air. It'd be a great recording. But right now the show is The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. That is true. That's true. So that's where we'll be. We'll be back again uh, next week, but we'll have a new episode out, and we appreciate you leaving reviews uh, and be supportive. We're going to be releasing some uh, social media components uh, and other things related to the show in the in the coming weeks. But just want to appreciate you. We, people can follow you on Twitter at... Allery RL. How much longer is it going to be that? You know, I, I got to make the change. So I officially got married about a year ago. Uh, last name is Cher. Um, you know, I got to make that change. You're going to make that change. I'm, I'm officially have a new last name, but, you know, social well, media been, wise. So um, we, I've been calling you Allery. Right. So do we got to make that to change yeah, too? Yeah, we're going to make the whole change. New brand uh, for the podcast, new brand for Becky. Can you get a name tag? Sure. Okay, and it's share. Share. S C H E R R, but it's like share. Share the love. And, or share. Sunny and or, share. Or Sunny and share. There you go. There you go. Congressman Bono, I met him once. He came in for an event for uh, Jim Ramsey before he passed go. away. Congressman Sunny Bono. Uh, I'm at, at M Broadcorp for all your hate mail, your support, 
your admiration. I want to thank Becky again for doing this, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, she's going to get the recognition that she rightfully deserves by having her name in there, where we should have had it from the beginning. Well, and I appreciate and also, you fighting for me. And again, when the lawsuit hits, <laughs> I'm glad that I now have someone who can be a named party. So when I get served, you get served then. There you it's go. It's fantastic. And when the lawsuit comes, it's share. Share. That's right. Let's make sure. Don't don't file it to Allery. It's share. Yep. There you go. And if there's any topics you want us to have break down in the future, let us know. We'll be having our own podcast, Twitter account, and social media account. Um, stay tuned. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.